Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money, educating the investors of the South Shore and the Merrimack Valley. We are on 95.9 FM WATD in Marshfield and 980 AM WCAP in Lowell. Good morning, everyone. We're talking back to basics this morning. We recently... We're uh, fortunate enough to participate for the seventh year in a row in the Smart With Money Fair in cooperation with the Marshfield High School. Um, it was awesome. Best fair yet. Kids learned a lot, I think. I'm pretty sure they did. Um, and I just, as I was going through it and thinking about what to chat about this morning, I just thought like, hey, this, a lot of this stuff is, is just far more, it's more globally appropriate than just uh, 18, 19 year old. So that's what we were chatting about this morning, joined by my husband, Kirk Reed. Our girls are here in studio this morning. Well, I haven't even heard a peep from them. They're in the building. They're in the building. They're not in the studio. Um, no, they're not in the studio. If they were in the studio, you would be, you would hear them. But yes. um, <laughs> they have so far been very well behaved, I must say. The internet must be it working. Is, must yeah. be firing on all, all cylinders. I, have dif- I do find it's difficult to get a babysitter very early on a weekend morning. So yes. it's... Um, Netflix does the trick. Yes, the Netflix babysitter is taking care of them in the other room. So, but they've been great. And it's only fifteen dollars a month. That's right. Oh, that's, that's right. It's much better than fourteen or fifteen dollars an hour for a babysitter. Uh, or what? Uh, all right. So I. So again, one of the um, we've been kind of talking about <laughs> random stuff so far this morning. Um, but I wanted to get into like one of the one of the breakout sessions we had at the fair when we talked to the high school kids about building good financial habits is 
um, the importance of savings and the importance of managing your debt. And I think those two things are integrally related. Is integrally a word? Yeah, I use that appropriately. Integrated. They're, They're in- yeah. integrally. Integral. Yeah, okay. It's really important. Okay. I don't know. They're related, and it's in, and closely so. Yeah. Um, we're, not, so we're, not, we're not English majors. No, I, I, I'm not. I'm not. So... Um, so the first thing I talk about is the importance of just having cash. You know, I'm we're asset managers, and and um, it's funny because sometimes I, you know, I sit with my clients, and you know, during like a review meeting, and we're talking about, you know, their their accounts and you know their investments and all that stuff, and I just kind of, you know, oftentimes try to make a habit of asking them what they have for cash in the bank, and you know, the 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 intent behind the question is just making sure that they have a sufficient cash. Position because if not, maybe we should address it and, and figure out a way to build it, whether it's to pull from assets or whether it's to use cash flow to build it or whatever. Well, and, yeah, and, and, and we don't want them investing all their money and not having anything right. they can get their hands on. Yeah, Right. But I think, but I think, I just think it's funny because I think that sometimes when I first ask the question, I tend to be kind of blunt and honest, right? And, I, and you kind of first ask it. And I think some people are shy to answer, like, especially if they have a lot of cash in the bank because they they think that I'm going to ha- ask them to invest it. Mm. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah. it's just funny. And it's like, you know, I'm not pressuring you to invest more money. That's not the intent behind the question. Um, and, and we kind of laugh about it. But um, no, the intent is just making sure that you know, again, this is back to basics. Like everyone should have an emergency reserves account. And, you know, having said that, if it's like $400,000, then maybe we could have a conversation about, well, did you want to invest some of that? But, but, um, you know, everyone should have, um, and the old, the rule of thumb is three to six, three, between three and six months worth of like your net monthly income. Um, right. from work and, and, you know, if it's anything outside of those ranges, maybe we'll have a discussion and if, but having said that some people are just really comfortable carrying a lot of cash and it makes them feel good and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, yeah, some people, you know, maybe some people like to have, you know, maybe a year's worth, you know, 12 months worth of yeah. uh, expenses and I don't, I mean, I don't think that's a terrible thing. No, um, I don't think so either. You know, more than that, you know, you, yeah, certainly you can get into the debate, you know, is, is your money better used, you know, trying to get a return on it. Um, but um, yeah, that, that's a very debatable topic as far as what's what makes sense on an individual basis uh, yeah. because it, it, a lot of it is tied to comfort level. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, but we would tell people, yeah, three to six months is a, is a good target for, for most, for most people. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think, um, I think the, um, behind that, you know, if you've got, if you're like a married couple or, or a couple, whatever, two people in the household and they've got, if they're both working. So if you've got two, you know, two independent sources of income, then maybe you can afford to have less. You know, maybe you can be on the three month side. Uh, but if you only have one source of income, right. you know, then, you know, the chance, if you lose that, that income, you know, maybe then maybe you should err to having more, you know, yeah. six months or, or, or more. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, you could, you could, if you lose, you know, two people working, one of them goes away. Okay. You still got something you can yeah. fall back on. But yeah. if you only have one, that makes it a little more, um, 
Also, if you're self-employed and like the business is sure. new and your income is variable, like a if very, you're a consultant a or something. A very good reason to have yeah. have more. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it really depends on your situation and, yeah. and how, you know, and what your risk level is. Yeah. For those people that have lots of cash though, I'm, I, I always will say if you're just the type of person that wants to carry a lot of cash, I, I will not... Can- ever talk you out of that because if that makes you feel comfortable then then that's a necessary thing for you but at least make sure it's in something relatively high yield right now like at least high yield savings account something in the percent or more per year range maybe put some of it in CDs and get a percent and a half or two percent but you want to have it um, available you want to have it you know we can get your hands on it right. in, in a pinch um, and not have to pay a penalty or something to get it yeah so I asked the students at the money fair how many of you know what an emergency reserves account is and I think one or two of them raised their hand and I said, go home and ask your parents if they have an emergency reserves account. I said, don't ask them how much it is because, you know, not all parents, especially with younger kids, like still school age, might not communicate with them about about the value of their money yet. You know, sometimes later in life when, when those kids become adults and, you know, then then some families start communicating about the specifics of the money. So I said, don't ask them how much it is. Just ask them if they have one. That's at least three to six months worth of income. So I don't know if any of them actually did that, but it would be interesting to, to find out. Um, and so like, so one of the first exercises that I had the kids do during the fair is they were rent, they were assigned an income, right? So, and I took out taxes and all that. So they had like their net income monthly and they were randomly assigned a savings account. And I said, look at your net income multiply it by three and then compare it to your savings account and, 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 you know, raise your hand if it's, if your net income is higher than your savings. And, and if it was, then those people had to go through the exercise of, okay, we're going to take money from your monthly income and we're going to tuck, move it over to savings. We're mimicking, you know, you building that emergency reserves and we're building this into your budget. Like if you, if you don't have enough cash, you should be building that into your budget. So they had a line item that was cash savings and that was just building their emergency cash if necessary. And then, and, and the opposite, like if they had a savings account that was healthy and, and then I said, you know what, it's always good to get in the habit of savings, but I'm not as concerned about you guys building cash and you guys can save money in other ways, like in your retirement plan. Um, but I think it's just good for people to get in the habit of, well, like one of the entire reasons we were there that day talking to young adults really about financial financially responsible behavior. I mean, one of the most, one of the best things you can do for yourself for the rest of your life is get in the habit of saving money, um, even if it's a small amount. So, so they were, so we, let, and, and I think that's one of the first things you should do to, you know, get in the habit of putting money in savings and get in the habit of putting money in your 401k. Um, so we, we talked about an emergency reserves and what it is and why we have it. And then you can kind of, and then from there, you can kind of segue to debt, right? So, so we talked about how these two savings and debt are related and you know, the, the discussion is, well, the people that have healthy savings accounts and are good savers and always have cash in the bank, those are the people that generally can avoid carrying debt, especially what I call like non-essential debt, like credit card debt or high interest rate debt, credit card debt, personal loans, things like that. The people that have cash in the bank are not the people that have to rely on a credit card for something that they that they can't afford because they can afford it because they have 
they have done well by themselves and save money. So, so those two, those two things are are incredibly they're integrally related. I'm I'm confirm I'm uh, I'm assuming I, I know that I'm using that word. You looked correctly. that up, yeah? Okay. No, I didn't look it up, but I but it sounds good to me in my mind. Um, so, <clears throat> so number one was to just get in the habit of making sure you have an emergency savings account and kind of knowing in your mind how much it should be. Um, and the other thing that I think is really important for people in general is this concept of saving for something that you want versus buying something that you want and paying it later, paying it back later, right? So again, we can see how these savings habits and debt are related because I said to them, you know, let's say you want to take a $5,000 trip to Europe. Like let's say you want to go to Europe for a month and it's going to cost you $5,000 to do this. Mm -hmm. And and then I said something about backpacking through Europe. And then I was like, I have no idea how much, I can't imagine that would be $5,000 a month, but I wouldn't want to literally backpack. I would want to stay like in some nicer places. So, so, but let's say you, the the point is (laughs) you want to spend a large amount of money on something. So I said, what's better financial behavior? You want to go on this trip. So one option is I save my money for it and I take the trip when I have the money. And the other option is I take the trip now and I put it on the credit card that was offered to me with with a $5,000 limit. Mm-hmm. I take the trip now and then I pay for the trip in the in the coming months and years, right? And I said, what's better financial behavior? Obviously the first one is better financial behavior. And And the reason it is, is because debt is expensive and you will end up paying more for that trip if you take it now and you pay it back later. So I actually had, I actually found what I thought was a pretty cool loan calculator that I had the kids download on their phones. It was free. It didn't make anybody spend 99 cents on it, but then you had all the pop, you know, the pop-ups because it was free. But I had them, I just went, I have an iPhone, but it was on the Samsung <laughs> and, they're prob- and, they're prob- well, and they're probably all ads for like borrowing money and, uh, you know, taking out loans oh, and I actually things. didn't pay attention yeah. to the ads. Yeah. It may, maybe, credit, maybe. Credit card. Actually, maybe. Credit, credit card offers. <laughs> Ignore and, those. X them yeah. out. But so I just went like to the app. I have an iPhone and I just went to the app store and I, and I typed in the loan calculator. And one of like the second, the first one that popped up was like a black and yellow and it was very basic. It was fine, but it was too basic. The other one had, um, it was like, a, I wish I could, it was like a blue and white. Anyway, it, it was a calculator where you could put in the loan amount an interest rate, and then you could play around with what is my payment if I want to pay it off in a certain period of time? So like I played around with um, different durations in terms of years and months. And then you could, and then what the app would show you is like, for example, let me just, let's go through this exercise of my $5,000 trip to Europe. And I, and I had, you know, a credit card could be you know, it could be an introductory period of 0%, but then it could be 15, 18, 22%. It could be crazy high interest rates. I just had the students use for for a blanket interest rate 8% because some debts are lower interest rate. You know, student loans could be four, five, six, seven, eight percent something in that range. Credit cards could be a lot higher, but like car loans could be lower, you know. So I just was using a blanket 8%. But like, for example, if, if you... If you take a $5,000, if you put $5,000 on your credit card and you want to pay it off in two years, let's say, 
okay, at an 8% interest rate, maybe we'll make the interest rate higher in a minute, you'd have to pay $225 a month. So I said to, I said to the kids, you know, th- this, when, when you're, when you're young and really, really not thinking big picture, if you put five, if you spend $5,000 on your credit card and then you get a bill in the mail and it says minimum payment, 80 bucks, that sounds so cool, right? I spent 5,000 and I'm only paying $80, right? But the the point is- Well, you know, I would say, you know, they have been better and this must be, you know, somebody's regulating this or some some somebody passed a law where they do have to put on the statements now, you know, if you only make minimum payments, it's gonna take you this amount of time and you're gonna pay this amount in interest. They awesome. Do, they do put that on there on yeah. the statements, which yeah. is good. And, and hopefully people see that. Hopefully uh-huh. people see that. And what I said to the kids was, even if you don't see that, you need to learn how to be in control of doing that yourself, which is why I think this um, calculator is so cool. And now I just got a pop up that I can't get rid of. Oh, there we go. So, it, if that minimum payment was like eighty dollars, it would take you. It would take someone six years to pay back that trip. Who wants to take a trip and then pay for it for six years? Right, right. And that's a long time. So it's you know that's you know that's a you know there's the whole intersection right of personal finance and. Um, you know, emotional, right? Emotion, you know, yeah. just emotional. Um, Money is always emotional, but and yeah, it, yeah. And it's like, so it's like personal, grat- yeah. or I mean, uh, immediate gratification. And then you're going to have that, that hangover, right? For, for X number of years, paying this thing back off. And then you're going to be like, oh, was it worth it? Or, yeah. or you're going to be worried about, you know, thinking about it versus it's, yeah, saving for it and paying for it and having it be done. Right. Makes sense. And uh, both fronts. So in, in this example where let's, let's use the six years to pay it off example at an 8% interest rate, it takes you six years at, this is actually $87 a month. It takes you six years to pay it off. But w- the point that, that I want the, the students to know, or that I want everyone to know is that if the longer it takes you to pay off, the more expensive it is. So at a six-year payment plan at 87 bucks a month, you borrow 5,000 and this loan calculator is cool because it will give you your total amount paid, including interest, which means the, the credit card, the issuing, the, the issuing organization, you know, was compensated for loaning you that money. So you pay back $6,300. So I said to the, you know, I said, well, okay, you, you, you took a trip for 5,000, you paid back $6,300. How much did it cost you to be what I guess I would call a little bit more impulsive and impatient? How much did it cost you to take that trip in a, you know, by, by taking it when you couldn't afford it? What was the premium? And, it was, and it's $1,300 because you mm-hmm. borrowed 5,000 and you had to pay back 6,300. Now, if it was a real credit card at like, 18% interest, the math is a little bit different. First of all, to pay it off in six years, it's $114 a month. And if you borrow 5,000 and it takes you six years to pay off, it's actually, you actually pay $8,200 to take that $5,000 trip. And if you wanna pay it back in two years, 
this this calculator is really cool. I love it. If you want to pay back that $5,000 trip in two years, it's $250 a month, but it still costs you almost $6,000. So there's a cost to borrowing money. And that's what I want people young, especially young people to understand is that, yes, the, the go back to our original example, which one is the more financially responsible behavior? The one where you save your money and then take the trip when you have the money is the more responsible behavior. But like you were just saying, it is the much more difficult emotionally to proceed because it might take you a couple years to save up that money. And then, you know, maybe your friends are going to Europe this year. And if, you know, you want to be financially responsible and do it when you have the money, well, you got to wait a couple years. So, you know, that okay. So you have to kind of balance it and say, right. So you want to do it, right. That's life. You know, life is short. I want to go do it now. Okay. Yeah. I understand that. But you need to, you know, at, at least do the math like like you yeah. like you just did and see what it's going to cost you if, if you put it on your credit card and make sure that you can afford it. Uh, make sure that you can make those payments. Yeah. Um, and, I, and ideally make those payments in a timely fashion where, you know, you can do it over, you know, a year or two. You know, if you've got to stretch it out over many years, think about what you're going to want to do in the next couple of years. There's going to be something else that's going to come along. If it's, if you're, yeah. if you're paying it off in five years, you're going to want to do something else and, or something else is going to come up that you don't expect as far yeah. as an unexpected expense or something. And you just got to kind of weigh all that and, and what, what's, you know, what it's worth to you. And I, and you know, some of the, you know, a lot of people walk out of college with student loan debt. Um, you know, some people, maybe their parents will bear the burden of that debt, or maybe it's a combination or, you know, some young people are bearing the burden of a significant amount of student loan debt when they come out of college. And I was kind of like, you know, we could argue all day about the, you know, whether student loan debt is a necessity. And generally, yes, I, I, I do think it is. And I think, I think, you know, uh, if you have to take on debt to go through school, you know, and getting a degree and getting a good job. And I generally think that that's necessary debt. However, I think it can be controlled and there are, there are, you know, colleges and universities at different price points. So I think that you can control that, but, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I wasn't trying to talk anybody out of like going to school, certainly not. And, 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 you know, if you have to take on debt, you have to take on debt. But what I want them to understand is that you can control and you should be cognizant of how quickly you are paying it down and the total cost to you of carrying that debt. Um, you know, and if it's and if it's a low interest rate debt, um, you know, not as concerned about it, but higher interest rate debts, you know, to 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 have enough smarts to get yourself on a plan to pay that down quicker is just far better for you because the cost to carry the loan is less expensive. But also, like you were just saying, carrying debt inhibits your ability to spend money on other things in your life. Like it might, it might prevent you from, from doing other fun things in your life. Cause if you have, you know, whatever amount of debt and you're paying 800 bucks a month to get rid of your student loan debts, or God forbid, it's a lot more than that. It certainly could be. Mm. Um, it, it, it prevents you from number one, spending money on other things in your life that maybe are fun. But number two, it might inhibit your ability to save in your retirement plan because you have to work so hard to pay down the debt and you also need to pay your rent and have your car payment and buy your food and stuff like that. So I just want, I want young people to understand um, how carrying debt impacts the rest of their life 
and and not just their financial life. I think that their ability to 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 live a life and build and build money for the future. Um, but also, I but I want them to know how they can go about calculating how do I tackle this debt? Like if you walk out of school with 30,000, I think the national average is like $32,000 in debt, something like that. I want them to know that they don't just have to make minimum payments. If they can afford to pay down more, do it. I think that's, Um, I think right there, I think that, I think to me, the important thing on paying back debt, especially like credit card debt or something like that is, or, or, or like a home equity line, which is, you know, uh, different for, you know, for a kid. We're talking about kids, but yeah. home equity line, a lot of times you see people that only make the interest payment. Yeah. And, you know, when, you know, when are they going to pay back the loan? And... I mean, yeah, you know, maybe it's affordable to pay back just the interest, but you still have that loan hanging out there and eventually you have to pay it back. And so I think the, I think the important thing about all, you know, this, this topic is don't get in the habit of only paying back the interest. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, absolutely. Ma- on a home equity line, yeah. Or, or yeah. a credit card, you know, credit card, all those things, you know, yeah. only making the minimum. I think you have to factor that into your budget is that you're going to be making, you know, principal payments and, and making this thing go away. Um, I'm not saying you've got to put, throw tons of money at it, but you got to pay more than just a minimum. I think that's the, that's, that's the, the, the cheap advice there. Um, I, uh, let's go with someone that has an average of $30,000 in student loan debt. I want to say the national average is something like that, maybe like 32,000. But if I take $30,000 and let's call it student loan debt, and I'm going to use an average interest rate of like 6%, which I think is in the ballpark for student loans these days. Um, I want to say that the minimum payments on that, if you just made minimum payments on that, it's like a 15 year amortization. Meaning these people are, you know, maybe you get out of school when you're 22, 23, right? Something like that. You make the minimum payment on your $30,000 loan. It's like 250 bucks a month. So if someone has a decent job, should be able to um, hopefully afford that and other things in their life. But then you car- you're carrying your debt until you're like our age. <laughs> And it's that's a long that's a long time, and it and it and we, happens. And we, and we don't want to say I, what that. I, what that, what I know. That is, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I know people that carry debt, uh, student loan debts for a long time, and um, like I said, it just inhibits your ability to do other things. But what I want people to know is that they should pull out a loan calculator like this. You can just Google loan calculator. I found this loan calculator on the App Store that was pretty good. You know, you have to you know watch some ads here and there, but you can just X them out, um, and you should be able to play around with. Um, well, how much do I need to pay toward this loan to make it go away in sooner than 15 years? And, and as I'm working with the students in, in the, during this money fair exercise, you know, some of them would raise their hand and say, well, well, what do I, you know, what do I write here? How, how long should I, because in this loan calculator, the third input is duration. In other words, how many years before it's paid off? And they were kind of like, well, what do I put here? And I said, this is something like, this is a simulation of your life and you get to make these decisions. I said, there's no right or wrong answer. And this is something that you're going to play around with. And that's why I wanted you to have an app on your phone because this exercise was, we they were there that morning for like four hours, if not more. And they had time to 
to play to play around with and alter these numbers. And I said this this entire exercise this morning, the exercise of budgeting, right? And 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 making sure you're living within your means and not spending more money than you have. That exercise that morning and in real life, the exercise of fitting all of your expenses into your net monthly income. It's a I think it's a fluid process number 1, but also it, it's well what I mean by that is you know, you got to start somewhere in terms of what you can pay toward this loan, but that can be changed based on the other expenses in your life. So for the money fair, for example, I was like, okay, well, if you have like a large amount of debt, start at five or 10 years. If you have a small amount, start at a couple years and, and put a number in, and then you're going to go through this exercise of spending all your other money in other, in, you know, on food and, you know, re, you know, rent and, and you know, car insurance and all these other things. And then I want you to come back here because if you have more money, you spent your money on your necessities in your life. And if you have more, I want you to pay this down faster. And I, because I wanted them to see that you, you know, you have to start somewhere, but you can always modify that. And good financial behavior is constantly reeval, not constantly like every day, but over time reevaluating your, your expenses and your outflows and seeing what you can do differently. And if I can, and, and if I can, you know, good financial behavior is paying down my debt quickly. So if I can have more money to spend toward my debt and pay it down more quickly, that's what I'm going to do. So I wanted to like to hammer home that this is, this is real life and this is a fluid thing. And just because you get a, a something in the mail that says, here's your payment. With most debts, there's no prepayment penalty. So, you know, do more if you can and work that into your budget. But it's all about really balancing and there was no right or wrong answer there. So constantly reevaluating it and seeing what you can do with your resources, I think is a really, really, really good exercise. Um, I guess I have to take a quick break. I was really on a roll there, though. All right. Uh, you're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. We're talking back to basics uh, this morning about, you know, debt and investing and savings and all this good stuff. We're just taking a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. Uh, I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. We're educating the investors of the South Shore and the Merrimack Valley. You can find out more about us at McNamaraOnMoney.com, McNamaraFinancial.com, and McNamaraOfTheMerrimack.com. So really, just any, like any, any of those. Like, like any website any you website look at will, will guide you to McNamara That might Financial. have the word McNamara in yeah. it. No, just those three. Um, so I'm joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed, and we're talking this morning about... Um, I don't know. I'm calling it back to basics, I guess. And I, I was trying to just going over some of the points that, that I, that we make to the young adults when we do the smart money fair. And I just, you know, it just kind of, um, reverberated with me or whatever that, that these things are, you know, it's great for young adults to know these things and it's, but it's, there's a lot of stuff here that, um, that it's just great to remind everyone of. And, and I think those basics are, you know, maybe some of them are. Um, they apply uh, to everybody. Yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of people like know this stuff, but I think helping people understand the why and um, just take it a little bit further, I think, is real helpful. So, um, so we just have a, a you know another twenty twenty five minutes, and and I wanted to um, just finish finish up some of the larger points that we make 
when we talk to the students. Um, and I think, we, you know, we talked about saving, the importance of savings and building habits and saving early. And, and we talked about compounding, <coughs> excuse me, interest and, and, and how time is your friend in the world of investing. And, and the, longer, the longer the period of time you have to invest, the better. And uh, because you can take advantage of compounding and you don't have to work as hard in terms of saving your own money, you can, you can have your money work for you as well. Um, so another one of the, so one of the breakout sessions was saving and debt management. I did that one and, and I, I enjoyed it. And, and it was great to, you know, just give these young adults this, you know, spew of really important information and they didn't retain everything I'm sure, but if they return, retain some of it, that, that that's, you know, they're better off financially long-term for having a basic understanding of this stuff. Um, and then another one is another of the breakout sessions was retirement and investing. And so just the importance of, um, putting money into like, what is a retirement plan um, or retirement account and, and the importance of putting money into it and then talking through the different options that people will have. And we kind of touched on this earlier in the show about, um, you know, that a lot of employers offer retirement plans, but there's not a whole lot beyond that in terms of helping people utilize them. And, and so that's the importance of of this discussion and the importance of a lot of the discussions that you and I have, you know, every day with our clients. And um, so we just try to give some some basics, you know, we, we talk about, a, you know, most a retirement account in general, the most common being a 401k, but there's lots of other ones. A lot of like small businesses, you know, uh, might offer a simple IRA, which is very similar to a 401k, but it's more tailored to a small business because it's less costly for that business. And just, and like I said earlier, I, I think there's a lot of people that don't know that, you know, even if you don't have a 401k or, or any retirement plan through your company, if you have earned income, you can make, anyone can make an IRA contribution. Uh, limits are different. Tax deductibility may be different, but anyone can make an IRA contribution if they have earned income even if they don't have an employer-sponsored plan. Um, but but employer-sponsored plans like you and I were talking about earlier are the most, um, like logistically, they make a lot of sense because it's a payroll deduction. It's kind of like set it and forget it. The money goes in every couple of weeks, yeah, higher, whatever, how higher, long you pay. Higher limits. Uh, you can, you know, you can higher put, limits in an IRA. Put more in. Yeah. Potentially a match, you know, if, if your employer offers it. Um, yeah, I mean, we often, you know, sometimes... <laughs> to our own, uh, you know, and again, this is where it comes into being a fiduciary, right? So like the other yeah. day I was talking to somebody and, you know, they have, a, you know, had an IRA with us, uh, but now she is now just eligible for an employer plan and she was putting money into the account with us, but now she's, you know, she's, she's got a match on the other end. And she's yeah. like, she's like, what do I do? I was like, yeah. well, obviously you put your money into the, to the thing at work and, and get the match. Cause yeah. that's, a, that's a much better, you know, that's, that's boosting your return by X percent yeah. uh, versus putting it in with us where, you know, we're not going to give you a match. Um, and so you got to be aware of things like that and you know, what makes sense. So in the, in the guidelines that we give are the young people that we talk to the stuff about and, and you know, if, if, when you, again, under the heading of this is your life and you make the decisions, right. And you control it. Um, you, when you sign up for an employer plan, you can make a decision. You will have to make a decision regarding how much of my gross income I'm going to put in, 
to this retirement account. And, and usually you can do it via dollar amount or percentage of gross income. And so a lot of people are like, well, how much do I do? Right. And, and, you know, and, and, and an answer that's, uh, tailored to you, right. Is, is the most accurate, but in general, if someone can put, I think 10 to 15% of their gross pay into a retirement account every year forever, I'm pretty comfortable that their retirement is going to look pretty good mm -hmm. unless their standard of living they think is going to significantly increase in retirement or, or they wanna own three houses versus one or you know things like that. But like to maintain your lifestyle long-term. And if you retire at a normal retirement age of like something in your 60s, if you can put 10 to 15% of your pay away every year. Starting as early as you can. Starting as early like, as you can. Like, like like mid to late 20s. Yeah, like if you can do it for 40 years. Yeah. I'm pretty comfortable that your retirement plan is gonna look pretty good. And, and I guess maybe I should caveat that by saying, if it is not in cash for 40 years, it has to be invested in, in working, an appropriate manner. Yes. Working for you. Yeah. I think that that's a really good target. And actually, if you think about, and I made this point during the fair, if you think about, well, well, well first of all, something incredibly important for young people to understand is that there is no one else in the world that is going to take financial responsibility for you, right? I will tell them right now that your parents do not want to take financial responsibility for you forever, Right, they are intending most of them anyway, unless you, we're talking about very, very wealthy families. But most parents are anticipating, hoping, mandating, whatever that their that their kids become financially independent at some time, like probably early to mid twenties. Right, you get your first job. Maybe they live at home for a little while or whatever, but like sometime in their 20s, I think parents are anticipating that their kids will become financially independent off, because off, you know what? the payroll. Your parents might be relying on that to make their own retirement work, right? right? And so, you know, the, and, and you know, the, the government is not going to take care of people financially. Yes, we have social security, but you pay into social security. So you kind of like just get your own money back. And if you live a long time, yeah, maybe you get more back and all that. Um, and by the way, social security might look different in 40 years than it does now. And then people might not be getting the same benefits at that time as, as retirees are getting now. That's a whole nother story. Um, and, and you can't count on your employer to take care of you financially anymore. I mean, the the days of, of, of pensions that equal or almost equal your salary are, are coming maybe not fully to an end. We still have municipal pensions um, are still around and some corporate pensions. But, you know, if you think about like, and, and there are a bunch of teachers in the room, right? And teachers are a really good example of workers that still have really great pensions. And if you put your 30 years into te the, the, uh, the system for teaching, you can retire on 80% of your salary, which is awesome. It's a great mm -hmm. pension, but guess what? Teachers put nine to 11% of their pay away every single year for those 30 years into the pension system. So if they had saved that 10 to 11, I'm sorry, nine to 11% in their own plan, they could have like paid themselves you know, maybe they could have paid themselves their own pension. So I kind of said, you know, that's not an example of your employer taking care of you. It's structured nicely, right? And that and that teachers can't outlive that income, but they're kind of just getting their own money back because they, they paid in and that's not an elective pay in. They have to pay in to the pension system and because they don't pay into social security. Um, 
to get that pension. So that's like almost the same thing as saving your own money and then paying yourself money later. Um, so the, the point is you can't rely on someone else to take care of you in the future. Maybe some of them will get lucky and will inherit multi-million dollars, but, and, and great, but you, I wouldn't plan on that because <laughs> things change. But um, it's just really, really important that, that they get into the habit of saving their own money so that they can take care of themselves financially later. I think that that's incredibly important. Um, so, so we give them the targets of try to put 10 to 15% away. And if you can do that forever, that's great. But I get, but I actually didn't lead that session. That was our coworker, Cheryl, who led that session. And she was saying like a lot of them, it was great because, and actually I will say a lot of these kids asked really good questions. I would have loved to sit in on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you can run it next year. But the problem was you had to get the kids on the bus and we started the session so early. That's why you didn't run that session. Right. Um, but I guess, she, you know, some well, of the- I just meant I would have liked to see Cheryl. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Cheryl yeah. in action. Yeah. Well, she's great because yeah. I think she was great for it because she has teenage kids. Mm. And so she can relate to them really well. No, I'm sure she was very engaging. Yeah, she's great. She's super funny and- you know, I guess a lot of them, you know, she was going over, you know, to try 10 to 15%. And I think, and I think some of them were saying, well, they, they were nervous to put that much money in because they were worried they wouldn't have enough money left to spend in the rest of their, throughout the course of the fair. And, in, and I guess in real life, that could be a worry. Like, can I afford right. to forego this 10%, 10% of gross income yep. right. is more than 10% of your net income. So, right. so it's, so that, you know, this, you're talking about a pretty significant portion of your money that, you, that, it, you know, a financially responsible person would have to put away in order to, maybe I can't use the word ensure for compliance reasons, but in order to hope for a financially secure future, you have to tuck a good amount of money away every year. And, um, I think some of the kids were raising their hand and they were like, well, I, what I, you know? What's the minimum that I can put in? Because mm -hmm. I, what if I can't, what if I don't have enough money to do that? And so she was kind of like, well, you know. And, and again, in the real world, this is something that you work through. Like you know, if you have concerns about that, and there are other financial reasons in your life that maybe you can't do ten or fifteen percent at this given time. Okay, well, at least put like five or six percent in, because then, like you said, you can take advantage of an employer match because most companies don't match your contribution unless you put in four or five or six percent, right? So you have to put your own money in for your employer to put more in for you. Yeah, and 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 in my opinion, and I think you agree with me. Like, if so, let's say let's say you know this is I don't know this. This doesn't always apply, but let's say you put in five and the company puts in five, right? Yeah. And so you're so you're at ten. To me, that's nope. th okay. So to, me, <laughs> to me, that's the same as putting in ten. Um, I wouldn't. Okay. I I I, th I think people should put in ten to fifteen percent of their own money plus the match plus an employer match because you know what? Not all employers match. No, I know. Some of them don't match 5%. Some of them might match 2%, 3%, right? So, and you might go through periods of time where you're at a different employer and there's no match. But, I, but I'm saying, I'm arguing that you can you can include the match as counting towards your 10 to 15%. Yeah, I wouldn't. Interesting. I wouldn't. because Well, and the reason I would say that is because I think it gives you flexibility later on. Like if you force yourself into that 10 or 15% of your own money early, you just, you have more options later. And and it's better than not having more options later, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, you- I get, No, I get what yeah, you're yeah, saying yeah. From, from a habit forming point of view. Yeah. I think the math still is okay. 
I mean, I mean, if you're putting, I mean, if you, first of all, I think a 5% employer matches on the high side. Yes. No, I know. Um, but if you're putting 15% of your own money in and your employer is putting another 5% in, that's pretty good. Like that 20% contribution total is, is pretty good. But um, I, I was talking about, I'm trying to give guidelines for your own money. And just forgetting about the match. Yeah. Forget forget, about that forgetting for a, about for the match because it's, I don't think, you know, that's, that's fine. it's not right. Anyway. Um, so... So what we said is, and so I guess what what some of the students did was they started with like a five or six percent contribution, and because they were nervous about, well, am I going to be able to afford rent? Am I going to be able to buy a car? And you know, that's I think that that's okay. And and I and again in the real world, this you're you're trying to mimic reality here as much as possible, right? It's been it's better to make mistakes during an exercise like this. But in the real world, if you have concerns about you know, am I going to be able to like pay down this debt and 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 make this mortgage payment? And oh, I need to buy a car this year. And you know, if you're worried about that, sure, cut down on your 401k contribution. Try not to eliminate it, but but cut it down a little bit and see how it goes. This is a, again this whole process of managing your cash and and managing your cash flow. I guess I should say it really should be a fluid process. It shouldn't be, I set my contribution to my 401k at 6% and then I never look at it again. It should be, you set it here and you see how it goes for a little while and you and you look at the numbers again and then you make an adjustment if you can. In that example, I hope that you're looking to make an adjustment and in increasing it upward. But I think that, that, that if people can learn, again, another one, another super important thing for for young people especially to learn is that this whole process of managing your cash flow and making decisions regarding where your money goes it should be a fluid process and it should be something that you evaluate ongoing not like every day but you know periodically a few times a year maybe you should revisit your I'm going you know budget I guess is the traditional word but maybe you should just revisit where your money is going so that you can make some adjustments um and like you know you know maybe someone if someone is putting 15% in forever and does have a 5% employer match well maybe 20 or 30 years from now they revisit their budget in their life and maybe they figure well, maybe now I can drop down my 401k contribution because I've worked hard enough and, and maybe my assets are large enough, even you know, even though I'm gonna keep, I wanna keep working, but maybe my assets are large enough. So it should be like a fluid process. And that's, and I, and I talk about that, you know, all throughout the day that, that the whole, I mean, the process of, I guess I'm gonna call it itemization of your expenses, but budgeting really is, it's, a, it's all about balance. And it's, there's no right or wrong answer when it comes to allocating your money other than it's super important to save like we've already established. It's super important to pay down debt like we've already established. But the specifics of all that is it's really, it's all about balance and, and you get to make a decision regarding how you balance that. And I think that it should change over time, um, especially as people hopefully, you know, proceed in their careers and their income increases. And, and as your income increases over time, it's really, really good to evaluate these things as well, because maybe you're only putting five or 6% into your 401k. And then, you know, fast forward a year or two and you're making more money. Well, maybe you might find that, you know, you might find that you can put more money into your 401k. And I, and I think, and if you hadn't revisited that whole exercise, you might not realize that. Um, 
So I think it's super important to just understand that that the the whole budgeting exercise, which really I just mean by that, pay attention to your money and where it goes. Um, it, it really is meant to be a fluid thing. Um, how much time do we have, Tim? Like two, three minutes? I probably don't have enough time to get into traditional 401k versus Roth 401k, but I, but I think that that's really important and we do build that into the curriculum when we do the money fair, just about like, again, under the heading of, you know, you have choices when it comes to um, your retirement plan and, and how you're saving your money. And I, I want the, I want young people to get a little bit of a preview regarding like the tax benefits of putting money into a 401k, but also what it looks like from a tax perspective later and how you get to choose whether or not you want your tax break now or you want your tax break later. Um, and you, you might get to choose that. Like not everyone has the Roth option available in their 401k or 403b, but I think that they're becoming more common and I hope that that continues to be the case. Yeah, I feel like um, I've seen, I see more of them available. Yeah, I think I think that that's correct and I think that's a good thing. Um, and I, we should do another radio show in the Roth and all its beauty because that was my <laughs> favorite show ever and I and I want to do that again. Um, because I, I, I think that... Um, Again, every you know advice is really should be individualized. What we what we talk about at the money fair and you know is pretty general and broad. But you know that I I want people to understand that they have some choices regarding how they save their money and what 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 uh, they prefer and how they prefer to pay their taxes, whether it's now or later. You're always going to pay your taxes, but with a 401k versus a Roth 401k, you, you'll have the option to pay now or pay later. But anyway, we don't have time to get into that. Um, during today's show, but I, I guess, you know, what I wanted people to understand is that there are other options when it comes to saving. It's not necessarily that you're going to get a deduction and put your money in a traditional account. You, you might have another option in your 401k. And if not, you have a Roth IRA available to you, perhaps, unless you're a high income earner and then you don't, but that's a good problem to have in general. Right. So, um, all right, well, that, um, yeah, that flew by, but I hope that was helpful. I, there were some other things I wanted to get into, but we'll we'll continue in a future show. Um, you've been listening to McNamara on Money. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. We've been talking about just back to basics type stuff today, and I hope if that wasn't helpful to you, then maybe it's helpful to a young adult in your life. Um, you can find out more about us at McNamaraOnMoney.com, McNamaraFinancial.com. Uh, if you have a young person in your life that you think would uh, appreciate today's show, you can always uh, listen to our podcast and the podcast app. You can search McNamara on money. Uh, I hope everyone has a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Bye-bye.